Hello, listeners, and welcome to COVID Coffee Chats at UCalgary, a podcast brought to you by the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning. My name is Maya Anderson, and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm a grad student in the Workland School of Education, and I'm interested in finding out more about teaching and learning during COVID-19. I feel like we all have incredible stories and insights about how this pandemic has changed our lives and how it's changed the way we teach and the way we learn. So each episode, I'll chat with a UCalgarian and get their take on what teaching and learning has been like during COVID-19. And perhaps if we share these stories, we can learn a thing or two. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and enjoy the show. So with me today, I have Dr. Corey Flynn from Biological Sciences. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. For How are you me. doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little frantic, but well. Sounds great. So for people who don't know you yet, could you introduce yourself and maybe give us some, some information about who you are and what you do at UCalgary? Sure. Um, so my name is Corey Flynn. Um, I have a 50-50 uh, appointment in biological sciences and uh, the BSc neuroscience program. My background is in neuroscience. Uh, I did my um, I did my undergraduate degree in at Dalhousie University in Halifax. I came to Calgary and did my master's and my PhD. I went away for just a little less than two years. I went to uh, the south of France actually to do a postdoc, and then I managed to get back and. Uh, um, was hired as an instructor in biological sciences and neuroscience in uh, 2009. And so I've been here for a little over 10 years. Wow, that sounds great. So uh, we're just, we're interested in hearing stories about how the transition from face-to-face -to, -face to distance learning has been during COVID and how are you doing with all of that? Um, I'm, I'm doing okay, I think, actually. Um, so I was in a very unique position. Um, I, was, I was very interested in online learning um, and, and bringing aspects of my courses online even before everything. Um, so um, I had done, I, there was one course that I was involved with and I'd actually used um, our, our video um, media programmer or, or um, media manager, Yuja. I'd used the live stream version of that to do a exam review tutorial um, before any of this happened. And it was kind of the first, at least within, you know, um, the people that I was, I was talking to and trying to get some help from. It wasn't, it was, it was a fairly um, unique thing at the time when I did that. So I, I, I've always kind of had an interest in that stuff. And um, so I was actually asked um, by my department head in biology um, to start to develop one of our service courses, Bio 305, to develop that for online delivery. And so I had been working on that for almost a year probably before the pandemic hit. So I feel like I was probably more prepared than most for the transition. Um, but that being said, I still got surprised. I still, there's uh, a lot of things that have come up where I'm like, I was not expecting that at all. And you kind of have to uh, uh, figure things out on the fly. So 
Definitely. It sounds like the the experience that you had before really helped um, guide you through this process a lot. So what were those some of those things that surprised you? Um, so what I found, what I've been finding is, is the most sort of, uh, challenging is that when you are giving an in-person lecture and you're seeing the students, you know, three times a week or something like that, you know, you're giving them the information about the course and everybody understands how that course is supposed to happen. And then when everything shifted online, we're trying to use a lot of the same sort of avenues for, for disseminating information to the students and not all of it is getting out there. And I, I, I fully believe that it's, you know, a, part, a big part because the students are just completely bombarded with, you know, endless information and they're just completely overwhelmed. And so, you know, if some of these things get by them, it's understandable, but what's really been challenging is making sure that, okay, here's, here's the things that we are expecting of you and making sure that they see it and they understand it and they recognize it. So that's, that's been a bit of a challenge. Um, and then additionally, um, evaluation has been a big challenge. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very much used to doing the typical, um, you know, big, big classroom spread out in the classroom and everybody gets a, an exam booklet and you work through it in the room together. And, and yeah, when you're, when you have to basically scrap that whole plan and come up with a completely new way of evaluating the student's performance, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. I noticed mm -hmm. in your courses that, that you have um, synchronous tests and things like that. So how have you managed to make that work during in a distance format? So um, we've relied very heavily on the, um, the, the tools for the, the learning management system for D2L. Um, and so it's got its own um, quiz builder. Um, so we're mostly relying on that, but the challenge there becomes um, making questions and making, making means of evaluation that aren't just you know, easily looked up on the internet or something like that. Um, we've decided for most of the courses that I've been involved with and most of the ones that I've heard, we've decided to move to a, to an open book style of exam um, rather than again, when you're in a, when you're in a gymnasium with 500 other students, you know, you don't have your books in front of you, but we expect that most people are like I am here in our basement or something. And, and that, you know, they're, the temptation, I think, to just quickly look up an answer is going to be too much. And so I think that's going to be, you know, it's it's unfair to the students that if you tell them they can't look at their notes and the students that are being honest about it and they aren't looking at their notes, I, I don't want to put them at a disadvantage. So instead, we'll say, OK, let's let's make it open book. Let's make everyone, you know, equal and have equal access and um and then, of course, that that means that you can't ask a lot of the same questions. If you're making an open book, you have to you have to make sure that you know your evaluation methods are much more. They require more integration of information, those sorts of things. And so that's that's been very challenging. Um, but yeah, we're we're mainly still using that that system, that D2L quiz system. We just have to use it differently. We have to use it smarter so that we're um, 
that we're, you know, asking questions that can't just be, you can't flip open your, your lecture notes and, and find the answer to that. So it was actually uh, a lot of my choices this term. Um, my wife, uh, Nicole, is, uh, did a, a sessional, she was, she's a sessional instructor in the department and she did a course in the uh, summer term. And so that was all still very, very brand new. And so even like watching what she was going through with that, okay, this is what worked and this is what didn't work and, and then modifying things. And, and um, um, Nicole and I actually gave a workshop um, before the start of the fall term uh, based on what we had learned about how to use the D2L quiz function and the, the options that you can input and setting it up in a way that is equitable and fair and also actually assesses the students, students' learning. So there's been a lot of changes in that sense. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, when the switch happened, were you in the middle of teaching then or were you kind of at the end of a course? Yeah. So, um, so when the university shut down, it was in March, I think it was like the third week of March or something. Um, yeah, I had two classes on the go. Um, I was just about to start to lecture in one of the classes and I had to very rapidly switch and decide that I was going to do that online. Again, I was fortunate because um, you know, I had a bunch of equipment and stuff ready because I was already planning to try to develop a course that was exclusively online. So I was a little bit of ahead of, ahead of the game and I, I switched things over and, and just did continued on. I did synchronous lectures from here and then uh, recorded them and posted them onto D2L after. And that, that went pretty well. Although um, in that particular course, um, we had to give the final exam and we gave it through D2L and we, you know, hadn't really had a chance to think about all of these challenges with flipping over to this new format. And, and we weren't, we weren't particularly happy with, uh, with how that went. So we've, yeah, we've made some changes since then. Um, the other course that I was involved with was a lab course. And fortunately we were far enough along in term that they were, the students were basically at a point where all they were doing in the lab was collecting data for their final project. So the hands-on learning aspect had already occurred. And all, all we had to do now was basically invent some data. That's another thing actually that I've, that I've learned a lot more about is coming up with, uh, with sort of, you know, random number generators in Excel to come up with data sets for students to use because they can't be in the lab and they can't actually be collecting it themselves. So. So yeah, they, I was going to ask about that too. Um, so I imagine, I mean, I'm not from sciences, so, uh, but I do remember labs being a big part of things. Um, how have you managed to do those in a distance format or have you? Or have we? <laughs> I don't know. They're happening. I'll let the students decide if they're, <laughs> if they're, if they're happening well or not. Um, so we actually, um, the, the one course that um, we're running right now what we decided to do is to keep the labs um, fairly close to what they were originally, but do them remotely. And so what that required, it was, it was actually, it was an, it was an interesting experience. So um, typically what the students would do is they'd come into the lab and we'd sit down and we'd have a lab manual that has very, very precise, clear step-by-step -step instructions, do this, measure this out, pour it into here, 
you know, take the microscope, do this and get your data. And then you, they leave the lab and then they write up the report. Pretty standard, I believe. I hope anyway. Um, and we found that a lot of students would be spending a lot of their time in these labs sort of relearning the hands-on uh, techniques. So, um, you know, the proper way to set up a microscope and find the correct depth of focus and the, the proper way to pipette and use a spectrophotometer and these sorts of things, which they've all had some experience with in their previous years before they get to our course. But it's one of those things, it's like, unless you're in there doing it every day, you have to relearn it. And so a lot of them would be very focused on those things in the lab, which I, I think is good. I mean, it's, it's good to give them that experience, but we couldn't do that anymore. And so what we were really forced to, to rethink is instead of, instead of them focusing on the how-to part of the lab, what we wanted them instead to start thinking more about was the rationale behind the lab. So when we ask you to dilute this solution, you know, to this particular concentration, why are we doing that? Why is that important? When you, when you take a measurement on this particular piece of equipment, what does that value actually mean? And, and what do you have to do with that value in order to make it a meaningful thing that, that you can interpret? And so we switched very, very heavily. We, we switched from the, from the how part of the lab. How do you do this? How do you use the microscope? And we switched more to the why. Um, and so the, the experiments themselves were the same, or very similar at least, but we changed the focus of the labs. And so what we did is um, myself and, and our lab technician, Brandt, um, we filmed every experiment that the students would normally be doing in the lab. I say filmed in past tense, we're still doing it. We're kind of doing it on the fly, which is entertaining. Um, but um, yeah, we filmed the labs and um, we have the TAs run a Zoom meeting for you know the, the lab sections, maximum of 24 students. So it's good because it's a little bit smaller and we encourage them, they're, they're encouraged to turn their cameras on and be a little bit more social because social aspects of learning are very, very important. Um, but the TAs basically um, play the videos back that we have filmed and as they're watching it, um, the TAs are asking them those those why questions. They're asking them those those fundamental sort of background theory type questions that are related to what they're actually seeing in the video. Um, then, of course, as I mentioned, they get some randomly generated data tables um, that that correspond with what they've seen in the videos, and then they have to take all of that away and and still write up a lab report that test their understanding of what it was that we actually did and, or showed them that they would have done in the lab. So it's been a shift. Um, I, I hope it's working well. I guess we'll wait. We'll see how the evaluations come back. Um, but, uh, but like I said, it was actually a little bit of a silver lining of that was, you know, reevaluating what we actually want them to learn in these experiences and, and focusing on, you know, different aspects that they can still learn, even though they can't physically be in the lab. So it sounds like they'd get a lot of depth from that experience too. 
that was that was the hope. Yeah, that was the hope. We we basically um, we just we didn't want them to to just tune out. So and just like okay, a video's going on now. I'm I'm not really going to pay attention to it. We actually we introduced something we'd never had before. We introduced an engagement score, which basically just um, um, asked the students to, you know ask insightful questions during the time that they're watching these videos and, and, you know, participate in the discussion, respond when the, the TAs are asking them specific questions about what they're seeing. And, and it was just, it was a means of ensuring that they're, that they're engaging and they're actually, you know, being a part of this lab experience, even though, you know, it would probably be very tempting to just, to just sit back and passively, you know, watch, me and Brent make fools of ourselves <laughs> in these silly little videos that we've created. Have you been able to do that also in the lecture format um, in terms of engagement? So um, I always, I always tried pretty hard to, uh, to keep the students engaged in a lecture, even when it was in person. So um, I've been using top hat um, as a means to, uh, keep the students engaged to get them answering questions to get them thinking about the things as the lectures going on. Um, I've always used since I started lecturing. I've always used um, you know a, a touch screen to like a Microsoft Surface or something like that. And the the lecture slides that I put up before the lecture um, are kind of bare bones. They're sort of just like scaffolding for the lecture. And then I use the I use a stylus. I use the pen to fill in the blanks as we go through. And again, the, my, my goal in that has always been to, you know, they have to be there. They have to be paying attention. They have to be writing these things down as they go, or they're not going to have the complete picture. And so I've actually found that um, the transition to the online lecturing hasn't actually been that, that different. Um, so I, I lecture from here, I lecture from my basement and I've got the surface and everything set up and I still have the scaffolding slides. I still annotate the slides as I go along. Um, I still use Top Hat. We switch over to Top Hat and I get the students to answer questions. And if anything, I would say that the interaction has probably increased in the online environment. And I think part of that might have to do with maybe, I don't know, I'm speculating here, but maybe a little bit of the anonymity of, of, you know, sitting at their house and they can, they can type their questions in the chat that maybe some of those people wouldn't feel brave enough to, you know, raise their hand and answer in a lecture hall with, you know, 200 other students. So um, I, I try, I, I think, I think I'm getting more of those types of questions than I was even really in person. And then I've also gotten in the habit. I uh, I start the lecture like 15 minutes early, and I just put some some visuals up on the Zoom, and I put some music on, some like relaxing kind of chill music on, and I just say, okay, let's let's all just relax a little bit before we actually get started. And I think that's gone over pretty well as as well. So that sounds great. It sounds like you're building kind of a community and a kind of a very relaxed vibe with it, which is great. Trying, trying. It's yeah. it's tough. <laughs> We try to do what we can with it. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, um, moving forward into next semester and beyond, what are you going to take with you from this experience? So, the the efforts that we've had to put into the evaluation component, it's 
pretty embarrassing, but I feel like we all should have done that already. Um, like it's forced us to make better questions. And I mean, we weren't forced to do it before, but really we, we kind of should have done it before. And so like, I think that for sure is going to, is going to continue on. Um, I have to say this. So the lecturing that I'm doing, um, I always lecture and I record it as I'm lecturing and then I post it after the fact. And I love that part too. I'm, I'm a big fan of that because um, I find that when I'm lecturing this term, when I'm lecturing online, I'm not repeating myself very often um, because I know that there's that recording and I know that if I've said something and they missed it, they can go back to the recording after the fact. And I've, I've, I've actually had a few questions that, that pop up in chat and they say, oh, well, you know, can you go back to the last slide? And I say, yep, I mean, there's a recording. Like if, if you miss something, it's there. You can go back and you can look at it. And I think, I, I, I would assume for me anyway, um, you know, that would be a great tool for learning is that you're there in the moment, you're getting that interactivity, you could ask questions, but then if there's something that, you know, you, your, your attention wavered for a little bit, or, you know, your, your dog started barking or, or your neighbor was making noise or something and you miss something, you can always go back and see that again. And I'm, I'm already thinking like, even when we go back to in-person lecturing, I'm probably going to try to set something up so that I can record those and I can actually make them available after the fact. I think that's very useful. And additionally, um, you know, these changes that we made to the lab, I, I'm, I want the students to get back into the lab to to get that hands-on learning aspect because there's really nothing we can do to replace that but this shift to focusing more on the on the whys and the theory behind them i want to make sure that that stays incorporated into the lab because i, I again didn't really feel like it was getting glossed over at the time but now that you know you sort of re you're forced to reevaluate these things it's like that was a good idea why did i should have done that before so, uh, so yeah, definitely lots, lots and lots of changes and meetings, so many meetings over zoom. And honestly, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I'm, you know, I, if I can be at home with my family and, you know, working from home here, but then I have to jump to a meeting really quickly and I can do that from here. I'm, I'm all for that rather than, you know, trying to battle traffic and get on the campus for a meeting. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about distant meeting for sure. Fabulous. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. That's awesome. As we, both, so, as we, as we have this meeting and talk to each other in our, in our exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Um, it depends who we're sharing this with. <laughs> if we're, if, you know, if, if it's other faculty watching this, it's like, you know, the only advice is like, ah, just, just keep at it. And if it's students that are watching this, please be patient with us. Like we're, we're trying, we're trying really hard to, uh, to give an experience that is as close to what you would have had otherwise. But yeah. Those are two great pieces of advice for, for everyone. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to hear all of your ideas and how you've kind of embraced this change rather than 
kind of been afraid of it. So it sounds like, it sounds like you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's all a very, very, um, very, very stable facade. <laughs> <I think. laughs> there we go. <laughs> sounds like I'm doing great. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank you. And thank you for doing this. I think this is a great idea. I'm excited to see, uh, to see what, what you put together. Well, folks, that was my coffee chat with Corey Flynn. Thank you again, Corey, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you to you for listening. For more information on the project, visit the website at covidcoffeechats.ucalgaryblogs.ca. And if you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me at maya.anderson at ucalgary.ca. Take care and see you next time.